We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen recapping week 11 of the fantasy football season. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, you could please take a few moments to leave us a nice rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that. Thank you to those of you who have already done that. Uh, it was kind of a, an ugly weekend for injuries. Not the worst weekend we've seen, but certainly a bad week for the Bengals, who aside from falling to 3-6-1, and one, they lost a couple key players. We're going to start with that Bengals-Buffalo uh, Bills game in just a moment. But uh, Nick, before we dive in, you sent me a tweet 
Sunday morning, late Saturday night. I don't remember mm-hmm. when exactly it came in. I saw it Sunday late Saturday, morning. I think, yeah. Late Saturday. Jersey's scene. And, and the one that really stood out to me was a Minnesota Twins Orlando Hudson jersey. Right. Why would anybody at the bar, any bar in Madison, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, go out wearing an Orlando Hudson Twins jersey. It seems like a terrible life choice. Right. Yeah, it was a big weekend. You know, we usually like to recap the jerseys uh, of the weekend. And, you know, last week I think all I had was like that Dan Morgan Panthers jersey, which, you know, it is incredible in its own right. But And then it was a lady uh, wearing it made it even like just more right. unusual, like not some massive like fan mm-hmm. of Dan Morgan who – also owned him in an IDP league. Maybe she was. Maybe she was. Yeah, it's t- entirely maybe possible. Maybe she was related to him. Like, there's just there's a very limited number of reasons why you'd ever wear that jersey. Um, but this week was a little bit bigger. We had a little more diversity. Um, the Dansby Swanson jersey was back. I think I've mentioned that one before. Saw that one again. Same person. It had to be the same person. I think. I don't know. I didn't really verify. Uh, Dominique Wilkins Hawks, which was great. Um, you know, the, the cool era Hawks jerseys, you know, with the kind of the spud web, yeah, the, uh, the red and yellow, ones, right? Like, like the that. only ones really that I think Neek wore. Um, you know, we had a, an Andrew Miller Indians Jersey. And then of course that, that O-Dog, uh, twins Jersey, which I had to Google, you know, I saw Hudson on the back of a twins Jersey. I'm like, the only Hudson that I can think of, you know, who had that number was Orlando Hudson, but I didn't know being, you know, not a huge baseball guy. I didn't know he had ever even played for the twins. So it was actually funny when I when I woke up in the morning. I you know went to look at something on my phone, and the the page that was up or my last search page was Orlando Hudson's baseball reference page. <laughs> That's a tough uh, tough way to wake up mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. You kind of look around like, what happened to me last right. night? Well, why was I doing this? And that always happens. I get down like the the weird rabbit hole of going on Baseball Reference or Football Reference like during a game to look something up, and you just start clicking around, and all of a sudden, like yesterday, I I found myself on Levon Kirkland's Wikipedia page, and then like a couple hours later, I look up and I'm on Tyrone Wheatley's Pro Football Reference, and it's like, man, what am I doing with myself? Sounds like a nice little Sunday. Uh, diving into that Bills Bengals game, though, uh, Lashawn McCoy hurt his thumb, left early, he had uh, 33 yards on the ground, had a TD, caught a couple passes. Uh, salvage would have been otherwise a disappointing showing because he, he left early enough where that could have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. He had thumb surgery today, today being Monday, and is expected to play in Week 12. I mean, He seems to have escaped relatively unscathed. Meanwhile, Gio Bernard suffered a torn ACL. His season is over. The start of the 2017 season uh, now in, in jeopardy. He's not going to play through that. McCoy's going to get surgery and come back a week later, and Bernard's not going to play through an ACL. Yeah, wow. what's up with that? Wow. Um, Jeremy Hill's going to carry the ball a lot more, maybe even catch a lot of passes, too. That's, that's the possible increase in value uh, with Bernard out of the fold for the Bengals. Really uh, just a tough season for them overall. They've, they've been one of the underachieving teams, and this is just an injury that kind of piles on and they have to go six and zero here on out to yeah. even have a chance at nine six and one to be a wild card team to do it without uh, Gio Bernard and then AJ Green for at least a part of those six games and maybe all of them as AJ Green suffered a hamstring injury yesterday he was carted off the field it just felt like yesterday was the final nail in the coffin for the Bengals season yeah we had talked last week about how. You know, despite you know they came into that game three five and one, they had a bye. And, you know, they tied in in what was a huge game for them in London against uh, the Redskins a few weeks ago. And we had mentioned how it, they really weren't out of it. You know, it's kind of like Carolina in the South, where you know everything seems to have gone wrong. But then you check the standings, and they're only two games back. And that's still the case. Um, I mean, Baltimore and Pittsburgh sitting atop the division at five and five. Since he's not out of it, uh, but like you said, now I mean they they basically need to go six and zero the rest of the way. 
uh, to get to nine, six and one, which I'm not confident that that wins the division, but that's go- that's what it's going to take to even be in the conversation with those other two teams. Yeah, I, I mean, again, nine, six and one is fringy for the playoffs if, if they're able to pull it off. Uh, Tyler Boyd will take on a larger role. Uh, he actually led the Bengals in receiving yardage yesterday, six catches, 54 yards, had a late TD. Eight targets for Boyd. Brandon LaFell had nine targets. That was the team high in targets. I think he picks up a little extra value in Green's absence as well. Further details on Green, probably going to come down Monday or Tuesday, uh, but he's going to miss time. It's just a question of how much and as to whether or not his season is over. Uh, with McCoy expected to play in Week 12, Mike Gillisley, if, if he's available, not a must-add, but he looked good again, 14 for 72 in relief of LaShawn McCoy. Yet again, no Buffalo pass catcher stood out. Charles Clay had a team-high seven targets, hauled in five passes for 23 yards, hit a long of six. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you'd expect, right? I think it would have been more surprising if there was a Bills pass catcher who really stood out. Um, you know, Robert Woods is someone I've kind of been monitoring as uh, you know, as someone who's struggling big time in our Rotowire Stake League at the receiver position after uh, the Alshon Jeffrey news came down last week. And yeah, the targets were there at least for Woods for a couple weeks, but I mean, he caught all three of his targets this week, but three targets is not going to do it. Um, I mean, I mean, it, basically, this Buffalo offense has ran through McCoy, um, and then he's really carried them to five and five. They haven't had much of a passing game. Tyrod Taylor has been pretty hit or miss. Uh, so if they lose McCoy, you know, maybe they do lean a little more heavily on the pass. But, you know, as we saw after McCoy left, they didn't necessarily get away from the run. They just used Mike Gillisley as they would LaShawn McCoy. Offensive line in Buffalo is good. Big road win for the Bills in a day where the Bengals lost more than just a game. Green and Bernard likely both done for the season. We'll find out more on Green, as I mentioned before. Uh, let's move on to the next game on the slate. Where do we go from here? Let's, get, let's go Steelers-Browns. Oof. Ben Roethlisberger had 167 yards through the air. No TDs. Didn't get sacked. Didn't throw any picks. Didn't fumble. So I guess those are all yeah. good things. But, had a huge game. But the road woes continue. Le'Veon Bell had more yards from scrimmage than what Roethlisberger had through the air. I mean, Le'Veon Bell finished with uh, 201 from scrimmage, one rushing TD, 36 total touches, 28 carries, eight receptions. It's just one of those things where if you pay it up, you feel good about Bell. If you pay it up on Antonio Brown, eight for 76 on 10 targets, doesn't quite get it done. Yeah, I mean, you could say he was a real bell cow back uh, on Sunday with Ben Roethlisberger somewhat struggling uh, against that Cleveland defense. Uh, But this is one of those games where, you know, on paper it looks like such a lopsided matchup. We kind of saw the same thing with New England for a lot of their matchup with San Francisco. It ends up being a little bit closer uh, than expected. I mean, and even this score, I think, you know, doesn't quite do it justice because the Steelers got a late defensive touchdown, Josh McCown. And, and one of those plays that like only seems to happen to the Browns is just like running for his life with five defenders around him, uh, ends up fumbling basically on his own goal line. And then the Steelers were able to recover for a late, uh, a late touchdown. But before that, I mean, this was a game where Cleveland at least had an extreme outside chance to, to come back and tie it late. Um, but you know, the, this Cleveland team, you look at the remaining five games, and there isn't one that you say, "All right, this is this is a chance." I mean, they're going to kind of need to to pull some some magic here. They get the Giants, then a bye, and then Cincy, Buffalo, San Diego, and Pittsburgh. Broken Cincy at home That's looks the like one, their right? best path. That's right the now. only one. Uh, I, the Giants are looking pretty good right now. They they were a little bit shaky yesterday, um, but I, I think they take care of business. That's in Cleveland, for what it's worth. Uh, they have to go to Buffalo. 
the Bills could lose to anybody, but I think at home they're probably good. Uh, they're not losing at Pittsburgh, or excuse me, they're not winning at Pittsburgh uh, in Week 17. I don't know. Christmas Eve, they're home to to San Diego. Maybe, maybe. No. no. So they're going 0 and 16. Uh, if I had to bet on it today, yes, I would. I would bet on them losing their next five. Yeah, it's like 50 50 to me though. I would say like 60 to 70 percent chance they lose out. All right. Well, maybe we should have they're a getting case worse of hands as the season on goes on. Yeah, but there's a point where some of the, like I mean again like the Bengals season might be completely over by then like they they might have lost another game what two weeks away or three three games away they, they might have they might be buried for good at that point without Green I'm not worried about Geo not being there as much from uh, can we beat the Browns standpoint right. but AJ Green not being there does change the right. dynamic of the Bengals offense enough where that offense might struggle to move the ball against some teams even bad ones yeah and that would be the chance the Browns have and. There's there's a, a certain point when you have a team that's not winning games, their desire to not be a winless team exceeds the desire of a team that's three and nine to get their fourth win. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and like you said, the Cincinnati team changes drastically without AJ Green. I don't I don't know if there's another team that relies so heavily on one receiver. Uh, I mean, I guess you know Atlanta is similar Julio, to Julio. Yeah, you take Julio um, away from from the Falcons, but they've got other they pieces. Other, in the yeah, offense. Like, I don't know that Cincinnati has quite the depth of skill position players that that Atlanta has. You know, especially losing Bernard. Um, a healthy Eifert helps. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're still better than the Browns. We're we're, we're kind of grasping at straws here. So yeah, Cleveland. Let's just get away from from this game. Yeah. Terrell Pryor is going to get paid after the season, probably by a different team, because I don't think you would choose to stay in Cleveland right now. If you're prior and you have a, a market where other teams that have better quarterback situations right. are interested in acquiring your services, probably not like a huge fan of the city. He's know. he's an Ohio guy though, isn't he? He went to, I mean, went to Ohio State. I think he's but from I, Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly. Well, no, it depends no, what it depends what part of Pennsylvania, but I feel like there's an, enough of an overlap there where if it feels like home, maybe maybe he'd stay. But I I imagine he'd be looking for a maybe. better we'll situation. We'll have to get him on the podcast and, and ask. We'll do an exclusive. Are you staying in Cleveland? Kind of a LeBron situation. Maybe Terrell Pryor will have a, an ESPN special. I he, hope. I hope so. He's from Jeanette, Pennsylvania. Uh, where is that? I have in no idea where that I is in Pennsylvania. Know. It looks like Western PA, Westmoreland County. Um, Sounds like Western so PA. You know, there's that. It is in Western PA, Southwestern PA, in fact. That's pretty much Ohio for for like measurable yeah. purposes. Yeah, I mean, sure, I'll give you that. Angry people in Pennsylvania listening mm-hmm. right now, be like, no, we're not Ohio. Fair enough. Moving on to the Ravens and Cowboys. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott held the 97 yards on 25 carries. I feel like we should give the Ravens a gold star for that. Right, yeah, I think it kind of went about as well as you could expect from that perspective um, as far as bottling up Ezekiel Elliott. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, this Dallas team just continues to show that it's not just him. You know, it's their, their Dak can do just enough when, you know, when called upon uh, to beat a good team like Baltimore. And, you know, the, certainly the running game comes first. But I mean, this is, like we said last week, the most complete offense, I think, in the NFL right now. Yeah, it feels like it. I mean, Dak Prescott played really well. Dez stepped up, two TD catches. Cole Beasley, five for 59 and a score on six targets. Dez was six for 80 on eight targets. Uh, he was the player in the Dallas offense. I actually did have some shares of in DFS, but I, I made other mistakes, so didn't matter. Uh, but at least I got that part right, so I feel 
a little better about my losing lineups this time around. Uh, the other thing that really kind of caught my eye in this game, it was Terrence West with eight carries, Kenneth Dixon with six. Both players ran it pretty well, uh, but Dixon wasn't as heavily involved as a pass catcher as I would have expected in this matchup. The Ravens now at 5-5, five and five, still in the thick of things for a playoff spot, still in the mix, actually, for an AFC North title. That, that just yeah, gives very much in the, in the driver's seat in some ways. Ravens-Steelers just going toe-to-toe again for, uh, for the North, but Flacco was just Flacco, 23 yeah. of 35, 269, a TD. Um, didn't throw any picks, didn't turn the ball over, but didn't do anything extraordinary either. Steve Smith played really well uh, in this game. He continues to just amaze me on pretty much a weekly basis. Uh, Let's talk about a battle of the big cats, your Jags going on the road to Detroit and losing Mm -hmm. 26-19. What's going on here? Why why is Chris Ivory getting targeted six times as a pass catcher? I mean, mean, it works. You got to get the ball in your playmaker's hands, especially playmakers who fumble um you know more frequently than they should ironically enough i actually just just got a message here as we're recording from from our nfl editor mike doria oh said time to start time to start scouting the nfl draft uh and and of course he's referring to the jaguars i mean it's uh, just that's just like being i i I give you i don't i don't really give you like actual crap about the jags like i it's gotten to the point where it's more sympathetic now yeah right i got yeah i've never i've never actually given you legitimate blowback for being a Jags fan like why that isn't that's not a thing but well, it's like making fun of like you know a homeless person or something you know it's just you just don't do it it's just kind of something where it's just kind of like really man like you're gonna kick me while I'm down why yeah why is he do I mean it's it's funny how the tone has changed because at the beginning of the season I did get a lot of crap from people you know especially around here with the Jags losing to Green Bay in week one it was Oh, I thought this was supposed to be the year, blah, blah, blah. Now it's more of just, sorry, man. You know, uh, if anything, you, know, you should be going around. Okay in the fourth quarter. You should be firing shots at Packers fans right now. If, if they were giving you crap after week one, you should be going around kicking Packers yeah, fans Yeah, but you right can't now. do that when your team has lost six games in a row. Well, just put on a, I don't know, what, what other team get a Hornets shirt on right now. That's Charlotte not going to help. Yeah, they just, they just lost to the Pelicans the other night. It's not, it's not going well right now for teams' uh, clothing that I own. Um, but I once again had the pleasure of watching this entire Jags game. It, it was just a typical Jags situation, you know, a couple opportunities to to win the game. Bortles had his issues once again. They gave up a kick return touchdown uh, immediately after taking the lead in the second half. It was just, just things like that that you come to expect from the Jaguars. Um, like you said, yeah, Chris Ivory, the, the targets for, for him in the passing game was a little bit odd. Allen Robinson, pretty much a no-show outside of a, a short touchdown catch uh, in the first half, just three for 18. Um, I mean, this in a lot of ways just seems like a team that's kind of quit on itself and, and quit on Gus Bradley. And, you know, it's just week by week, the you know, I always enjoy seeing the Gus Bradley updates of, well, his career record is now was like 13 and 45 or something like that. Um, I mean, it's just completely indefensible at this point. Yeah, it's, it's ugly. Um, and I feel bad. I mean, I feel bad for you and any other Jags fan out there. No, no NFL fan should be stuck with a team that year after year is, isn't even close to being a playoff team. Well, it's just the, it's the lack of competence. That's so frustrating. Like, I don't care that much if they lose, like they're, they don't even lose like frustrating games. They just, they just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over at point blank range with the sawed off shotgun. Like, it's just awful to watch. And that, that's a pretty, they would just be dead if they did that. Pretty well. I mean, they're pretty much there. 
No, but they, um, they show up every week, so they're not dead unless they're like well, the water, they, unless they're I zombies. Think they're like, contractually obligated to be there. I think if it was their choice, they might not. Uh, well, they, they, their first lead since week six. I I sent you the celebratory hams. Uh, that I, like, a skunk? I actually like that. That was cool. That's a bear. Um, he's, he's a bear. I thought, it, a bear. I thought it was a skunk. No, I mean, that would make more sense, I guess. Uh, and also worth noting, late in this game, the the Lions were facing a fourth and two, I believe, with two thirty four to go. Uh, at this point, they were only up four points. Jacksonville needed to stop. They, they were at the Jags 46, so right around midfield. Jags get to stop there. Detroit basically has to punt. I don't think you can really go for that uh, in that scenario. What happens? Sanderic Marks jumps off sides, gives Detroit a free first down, and that's the end of the game. So it's pretty great. That's just uh, this season really in a nutshell, the last six weeks in a nutshell. It has not been good. Um, as, I, as I noted on Twitter, the Jaguars have now lost seven straight games to other big cat teams. They haven't beaten a big cat mascot team since 2008, and that was the Lions. Yeah, well, right now the Lions are the, the top of all cats, aren't they? they? They got the Yeah, well, yeah, the Bengals have kind of fallen off. Right. Uh, the Panthers certainly. Panthers aren't having the Panthers the year. kind of ruled the roost for a while there. Uh, but, yeah, the best big cat team in, in, in professional football right now is the Detroit Lions. Excellent. That's just excellent. Uh, the problem, by the way, if you want to send someone a Ham's beer gif, uh, which is what I, I right. sent you, is that you get all the John Ham gifts. Oh, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any grudges or anything against the guy, but it's just really hard to find the one gift that I list. want. Rachel Nichols, uh, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Long stand. Uh, who's who's my most recent beef with? Who's the guy from MLB Network? Uh, Mad Dog Russo. Oh, Chris Russo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've and got a lot John of John Ham. Kind of a John real mixed bag of feuds. All all people who are more successful and making a lot ah, more money. That's debatable. Than me. So got that going for me. Uh, let's talk about the Titans and Colts. This game bothered me because it was yet another example, and this happens every year where a team. Uh, had a bye week where the opponent did not, and they're in the same division. Like mm. this is just NFL scheduling gone awry. Uh, the Titans fell down 14-0 in the first quarter, tried to rally back and make it interesting. And Marcus Mariota continues to play well. Rashard Matthews looks like a legit number one receiver. Uh, DeMarco Murray had a receiving TD, kind of bailed him out in what would have been an otherwise disappointing day by his standards. But all things considered, I mean, the Titans still look like a good team to me. And if I had to predict the winner of the AFC South right now, I honestly don't know who I'd want to call as as the best team in America's division. I feel like it's not Houston. Um, I, I, I can't I can't pick them because of Brock. Like Brock is yeah. so bad. There's I I can't do it. Well, first of all, it, it's not America's division this week just because Houston's not even playing in America. So we have to remember that it's temporarily suspended as America's division. It's North America's division right now. Um, but I mean, Houston's in the driver's seat. Um, I mean, they're six and three. I think, I've, by the way, I've also like used up the amount of times I can say driver's seat already on this podcast. Yeah, times. Uh, but they're in the they're in first. We'll say in the division by by two games. So I mean, they can still lose. They can lose to Oakland tonight, which I think most people expect to happen, uh, and still be in control. And it's hard to look at the Colts and the Titans and you know, have enough faith that, you know, they can reel off four or five wins in a row and, and, you know, kind of capture that division. I mean, they, I think they each play the Jaguars once uh, again. So like there's that, although the Jags have beaten the Colts, something to remember. Um, and they hung in with the Texans a couple weeks ago. I think even if you, if you go, if you go by the, the logic of 
you know, follow the team with the best quarterback, Indianapolis maybe makes the most sense, but I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I would have no faith if I had to, you know, put $1,000 on who's going to win this division right now. No, I would, I would not want to do it. But I, if I had to, I guess it's the Colts by a, just a nose over the Titans because of luck. And I think Mariota's closing that gap quickly. Another great uh, week here in week uh, 12, or week 11, rather, as far as the production goes. I know they, they lost, but the key is that he's not making big mistakes, right? He didn't lose a fumble. He didn't throw any picks. Two TDs, 290 through the air, 29 rushing yards. He's just really kind of firming himself up, too, as like a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think he is. I, I think, you know, there's a, a bit of a, a rough start to the year, but he's certainly overcome that. And they, they at least look a lot more competent and like a real – you know, I, I don't, it wouldn't be a situation where they get in the playoffs and you're like, all right, this is just a free win in round one. Like They, they can push some teams. Let's move on to the Bucks and Chiefs. I thought the Chiefs would hold serve and win easily. They didn't. They lost by two. Uh, so add that to the long list of things we've been wrong about this year. Doug Martin comes back uh, with more of like a full role in Week 11. 24 carries, three catches, 105 yards from scrimmage. The yardage on the ground was tough. I mean, it right. was not very efficient, but... Did enough to where if you started him as your RB2 or as a flex, he came away reasonably happy with the yardage. Uh, Travis Kelsey had the big game in the Kansas City uh, group of pass catchers. Tyreek Hill was pretty quiet. He was chalky for DFS purposes. He was a big pickup uh, last week, and I thought for good reason. He's got that top-end speed, and usually the Chiefs find a couple other ways to get the ball in his hands aside from what he can do as a pass catcher, and he only had a total of 61 yards from scrimmage in this matchup. Yeah, this was... uh... This is the type of game that kind of scares you, I guess, with Kansas City. It's like they, they, I mean, not that Tampa Bay ran up the score or was, was throwing all over them or anything, but Kansas City likes to win these games defensively. And when the offense isn't clicking and you only get to 17 points, you know, one of those touchdowns coming, coming late in the game when it was really ultimately too late. Um, I mean, they trailed in this one 19 to 10 um with how much time was left like six and a half minutes you know at that point it's a two-score game obviously you need a field goal and a touchdown or two touchdowns and you know they put they put together a touchdown drive but it's a 12-play drive and it eats up you know four minutes off the clock like with Kansas City like they're not a team that if they get down like that you have faith that they can just march down and and you know complete a drive and, and get a score and they were able to do that it just took them way too long and you know by the time they ended up getting the ball back you know, for one last-ditch effort, they're deep in their own territory with 25 seconds left. So, you know, Kansas City's still very much in the thick of it in the AFC West, obviously. I think they're probably still a playoff team, um, but but not not the best showing. Alex Smith threw a really, really bad pick uh, in this one deep in Tampa Bay territory. I think Kansas City was at, like, the six-yard line on the second down, and, you know, in retrospect, it's easier to say, but even if they get a field goal on that drive, they probably end up winning the game. Yeah, big turnover for Alex Smith, who also vultured a rushing TD uh, in this game as well. So Spencer Ware owners right. can cringe thinking well, about that. Like Eric Ebron rushed for a touchdown against the Jags. Well, yeah, that was, I mean, at that point, though, Riddick and, and Dwayne Washington weren't running the ball very well in that game. Like, Dwayne right. Washington well, had 13 carries. Type of play too. I think it was a lot like the play that the Saints used to get uh, Kobe Fleener a rushing TD earlier right. this season. We have that kind of a little reverse almost. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of becoming this new thing that a lot of teams like to do in close with their tight ends. Uh, let's move on to the Bears and Giants. Zach Miller, three for sixty-one in a TD, but his season is over. He's going to have foot surgery. Cameron Mer- Meredith didn't do nearly as much as I would have expected, um, based on the fact that you know, Elshon Jeffries in the first game of his four-game suspension for PEDs. 
Meredith had four catches for 49 yards, only four targets. Jordan Howard was targeted eight times, only caught one pass. How do you? How does a running back get eight targets and only catch one? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really watch this game, but no, I had red zone on. I'm just picturing like swing pass out of the backfield that just goes awry seven out of eight times. I guess Jay playing with a blindfold on. Would you be that surprised if if that was like revealed that he actually was? I mean, we'd see it. I don't know. Maybe I don't. You know, kind of. You don't see the quarterback's eyes all that much. I'm just saying it would make if he was if he was wearing the Ladanian Tomlinson like sunglasses shield visor, then I would be like, oh, okay. There's not enough of those dark visors in the NFL anymore. I think they're outlawed, right? I think you can only have a certain percentage of tint because everybody wears the clear ones. But it seems like after like 2006, you just don't see dark visors. I wonder if that's got something to do with the concussion problem, though. Yeah, because you you want to see your you want to be able to see your eyes, but you can still take the helmet off. Yeah, you also don't see the cool like reflective ones. You know, I think like Sean Taylor used to wear like an orange one. Or you'd see like the purple ones. Like, I mean, if you, anybody in in their right mind who plays Madden or or like NCAA football, like your coolest players always have a dark visor. You do that in NBA games too. You put the the tint on the glasses, right? Like you you can play with those, can't you? Oh, like the Horace Grant glasses. Yeah, yeah like I like mean, Rex Becks with right, tint. Yeah, but those don't look cool. Nobody puts those on. Dwayne I, Wade. I beg to differ. Game, it was either him or Rondo or both. I think wore. You know, because they kind of look like safety glasses almost. Those those glasses, like they wore like really dark tinted ones. And got fined for it. And the NBA made them wear clear ones. Great. Way to have fun, NBA. Right. Um, other stuff from this game. Eli had kind of an Eli sort of game. Two passing TDs, 227 yards. Good. Not great. Uh, Odell Beckham was quiet. Five for 46 on seven targets. It was Will Ty hauling in one of Eli's TD passes. Sterling Shepard had the other on a team high 11 targets. Rashad Jennings. 21 carries, 85 yards, a TD, plus 5 for 44 as a pass catcher. We've been waiting on Paul Perkins for the last several weeks, but Jennings has had back-to-back good games, and you have to wonder if the Perkins breakout may have to wait until 2017. I think so, yeah. I think at least you have to put it on hold for the next few weeks. I mean, we haven't seen the Giants or a Giants running back run like this in two straight weeks really all season, and, you know, it's kind of, I mean, 85 yards is a fine game, and, you know, adding a touchdown makes it even better. Uh, but by giant standards, this is like an eruption. You know, they, they erupted for 102 rushing yards and a touchdown as a team. Uh, I mean, it's good to see Paul Perkins still in there, you know, getting a few kind of mix-up carries, just, just four for 16. Uh, did have two catches, caught both of his targets. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to see this team going away from Rashad Jennings right now. There's almost no reason why you could, you know, make a rationalization for that. Yeah, I, I he's played well enough the last two games where you wouldn't make the change now, but he was so bad before that where I felt like they were completely justified if they'd made the change then. Now it would just seem really strange to take the job away from a guy who's playing surprisingly well. Uh, Cardinals-Vikings in Minnesota. Vikings coming away 30-24 winners. Carson Palmer's going to be the Achilles heel of this team. Uh, it's pretty clear at this point. 4-5-1 and one now in the season. After this loss, they're 1-3 on the road. I mean, and this is the problem, too. If they don't have home playoff games... Can they actually win a playoff game on the road? If you had to bet on it right now, uh, the answer is no. Uh, we also found out this morning Bruce Arians hospitalized, I think, after experiencing some chest pains. So we'll see uh, how he's doing later in the week. But hopefully the, uh, the coach can get well and get back on the sidelines soon. David Johnson continues to be matchup proof. How about 160 yards from scrimmage and two TDs? Part of the appeal this week of, of David Johnson is that Minnesota does have a good defense, but their weakness tends to be on the ground. And if David Johnson is an elite back the way we think he is, it shouldn't matter anyway. So I think Jake was mentioning during the XM show, he had low ownership on David Johnson in daily, which is 
awesome because like you're getting a top back at less than 10% ownership and he goes off like that, that can be a big difference maker. But the real concern with Palmer playing like this, you know, if you're trying to rely on JJ Nelson or Michael Floyd, or at some point, John Brown, who's just been a big disappointment this year. He's got a concussion. He's had a groin injury, I believe as well. It's been just a lot of different things slowing him down. I don't know if you can rely on any non Larry Fitzgerald pass catcher in this group right now. No, not really. And not the way, like you said, that Carson Palmer has played. And to be fair, he was, he was pressured a ton late in that game. Yeah. The Vikings uh, were getting a lot of pressure. Few, the last like three possessions for Arizona, when it was pretty clear, they were basically just going to have to pass every down. It seemed like Palmer was just flushed out like crazy, but he just has no, no mobility. I mean, watching, watching the Sunday night game last night, over and over, you see Rogers, you know, drop back. He'll do that turn, you know, kind of kind of turn, I guess, left to right and roll out. Like, Palmer kept trying to do that move and then just getting sacked and driven into the ground over and over. And it, it was kind of painful to watch. But even when he had time, he was missing throws. Um, and Minnesota really kind of tried its best to to give this game to Arizona at the end. Uh, one fumble ended up being called back, and then they, they fumbled it, what, two or three plays later uh, and gave Arizona a chance, and they just weren't able to move it. Yeah, it was uh, really one of those days where other than running the ball, it just seemed like Arizona couldn't consistently do anything through the air. And without that balance, they just couldn't make big plays in third and long situations when they needed them. Dolphins-Rams, Jared Goff's highly anticipated debut. Did anyone watch that game from start to finish? Anyone except for Dolphins and Rams fans? Did anyone say, you know, I really want to watch Jared Goff and, and see how this plays out? I, I don't like to admit this, but I, I did watch parts of it. Streamed uh, streamed some of the second half, um, mostly because of you know gambling implications. But this is about what we expected, right? Like it looked like it was going to be uh, for most of this game. Like the Rams were maybe going to pull this off. I mean, they went into the fourth quarter. Uh, up 10 to nothing and you know defensively we're shutting everything down and then finally Miami was able to get something going through the air uh, late in this game but I I didn't get to see much of Jared Goff I I was more concerned I guess about Miami coming back than I was uh, Jared Goff's performance but like if you could if you could predict the line for him and say like all right he played okay what do you think he would what do you think he would do like 17 to 31 for 134 uh, seems about right. I mean, that's just a, a wildly low uh, per uh, attempt average. That's below. It's below the line of of what I would have. I mean, for a, an okay game, I would have thought similar completions attempts, but mm-hmm. 180 yards, 190 yards, something like this. six yards yeah. per attempt. Something a little more. I mean, palatable. It's just so you know, so conservative, and you look at the receivers that they have. You're not like deep ball threats. It's just about about what do you expect? But I mean, it wasn't a disaster, right? Like. These wasn't a whole lot worse than Case Keenum. He had look, a better QBR than Tannehill. Look at Tavon Austin's usage. Three touches. Good thing they gave him that big extension. Yeah. Man, talk about a playmaker. Uh, two targets, too. Uh, just kind of force-feeding on the ball. Devontae Parker on the other side, 8 for 79 and a TD. Jarvis Landry, 5 for 28 and a score. Uh, Kenny Stills, 9 targets, only 4 catches for 33 yards. So Ryan Tannehill. Todd Gurley had his first 20-plus yard rush of the season in this game. He did. He had a long of 24, and he found the end zone early, too. So price keeps going down in DFS. He exploded for 76 yards in his first touchdown in five weeks. Uh, Yeah, it was his first 20-yard carry of the season. So that comes in week 11. Big win, though, for the Dolphins, 6-4. and yeah. Are the Dolphins, so they're in the mix as they a were wild card team. I mean, think if they think if Kenny Stills catches that you know seventy yard bomb in Week One against Seattle, they'd be seven and three. Seven and three Dolphins, and then they get the Giants also at seven and three right, right. now. Two teams that you would expect to be at five and five or below. Yeah, you know, uh, that's what the NFC is right now. 
or excuse me, the AFC East. Don't mess with either one of the Eastern yeah. divisions, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, Ryan Tannehill, 24 of 34, 172, the two TDs, one pick, four sacks. Good enough to get it done. Again, Miami, 14-10 winners uh, against the Rams. Patriots and Niners. This one was, you know, not the blowout that some expected. No. It held up close to the line. I think the Patriots were favored by 13 and a half, 13 other places. They won by 13 because Vegas is good they at do. what Vegas does. LeGarrette Blunt, 19 carries, 124 yards. Didn't find the end zone. A very chalky DFS play against a bad San Francisco run defense, but it was Brady finding Malcolm Mitchell, Julian Edelman, James White, and Danny Amendola for four passing TDs in this matchup. Yeah, this is kind of like the Alabama-Chattanooga game uh, in college football this weekend where it was like three to nothing Chattanooga at the end of the first, and then you know, Alabama just kind of slowly, and slowly but surely, convincingly, uh, you know, won the game thirty-one to three, and you, you, you just knew it was like not the win that they maybe wanted, uh, at least not the start that they wanted from from either of these teams. But the Niners are kind of scrappy. I mean, they 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 did the same thing basically to Arizona last week, and obviously now it turns out that Arizona is just not that good. Um, but I I thought New England would have really no trouble covering that spread, even though they did have to travel across the country for this game. Yeah, I, I thought they'd win by more than the spread. I took the Patriots giving up the points and. I think when it locked, it was 13 and a half, so I was wrong by the hook, but kind of sort of right in principle. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Not really. <laughs> Kaepernick finished with 16, uh, 16 completions, 30 attempts, 206 yards, two TDs, 32 rushing yards. Uh, got burned on Red Zone Channel by Scott Hansen, too. Uh, oh, yeah, that was, a, that was kind of a sick burn, wasn't it? It was a pretty good burn. It was totally, like, uncalled for. <laughs> yeah, it was just out of the blue. Vance McDonald, 3 for 46 in a TD. Sean Drone, 3 for 43 in a TD. Jeremy Curley, Quentin Patton combined for 11 targets, 2 catches, and 17 yards. The 2 catches and the 17 yards both going to Quentin Patton. It's weird that Cap went for 200 yards through the air and basically didn't use his receivers. Yeah, uh, a very kind of 49ers thing to do like the, the the box score when you check that at the end of a game every week for the Niners is just like a complete wild card slash Pandora's box of madness like you never really know what to expect I mean Jeremy Curley has kind of been the guy at least that you know at times this season has been really productive I mean extremely extremely hit or miss you know two out of every 10 weeks he'll look like a number one in this game he was targeted six times and had zero catches um so <laughs> If you if you used him, obviously that did not pay off. The Niners fumbled five times in this game and recovered all five. Like just just a weird, hard to weird do. game. That's really hard to do. I would I would venture to guess that that has not happened in a long time. Probably four or five years at least. Minimum. Oh, I'll look into it later. I I think Football Reference does does fumbles. Seems like a good use of time during your lunch break later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Matthews suffered a knee injury in the Seattle Philadelphia game, and that's like the second most important injury at best because CJ Proceis is going to miss significant time with a shoulder injury. Thomas Rawls ascending uh, back to that number one role for Seattle, which I, I thought if Proceis stayed healthy, that wasn't going to happen. Proceis ripped off a 72-yard TD run before leaving. Uh, the thing about Seattle right now, Nick, is they look like they're firing on all cylinders. Jimmy Graham scored in this one. Baldwin went over 100 yards. He threw a TD pass to Russell Wilson on a, on a gadget play. I mean, this is just one of those teams that they, they go through these stretches where they look really bad, and they always seem to be playing really well 
at the right time of year. And it started last week in New England, and it continued at home this week against the Eagles. Yeah, 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 it did. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this, there's still just so many teams that we say week to week that we really don't know all that much about. And I think Seattle's kind of creeping out of that territory, finally. Um, you know, and the way that Russell Wilson's played has certainly been a big part of that. We saw some creativity kind of back in this offense that that really hadn't been there through the first half of the year with, with Wilson catching a touchdown uh, from Baldwin. And, and this running game is going to be kind of scary going forward, I think, for Seattle with with Procise. I mean, 76 yards looks good. I mean, 72 of those came early on early in the game and on a long touchdown run. Didn't really have a ton of usage. Uh, after that, but I mean, Thomas Rawls looked back to the physical bruising Thomas Rawls that that we hadn't really seen much this year. No, I think Prozlis is going to miss a lot of time. Like that's the thing. He, he right. left the game with a shoulder injury, right. and ultimately Rawls had to take over. Fourteen carries for Rawls is more than I would have expected. Uh, I don't remember if Alex Collins was inactive or not. I think he may have been inactive because he didn't touch the ball. Uh, it seemed like the Seahawks would have maybe eased Rawls into action a bit more if Prozlis had been able to finish this game. On the Eagles' side, Carson Wentz had a couple TD passes, but threw two picks, uh, fumbled once, did recover it. But uh, one of those games where it's a tough spot for a rookie quarterback to go into the uh, Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, into that defense, and actually find a way to get a win. Right. They kept making a big deal that it was his first ever rain game. Rain, rain at, game. At Seattle's more difficult than right. well, rain. He, he had practiced with wet balls throughout the week. Um, you know, I, I, I think we're kind of we're just beyond that, right? You just, you just bring a kiddie pool out to the practice field, dunk the ball in there, and they're like, here you go, yeah. throw it. This is what it's like. Yeah, that's, that's where we're at, I guess, as far mm-hmm. as preparing for. I just feel like, how did he never play in rain at North Dakota State? Oh, I guess they play in a dome, don't they? Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. All right. That's how it's done. I don't want to do this. Packers, Redskins, uh, Packers falling even further away from a playoff berth. They're now four and six, one and four on the road. Uh, really, their their problem. They're not winning away from Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers, three fifty one, three TDs, no picks, only two sacks, thirty three rushing yards. Led the team. He is the team right now, and uh, injuries are a major problem mm-hmm. for Green Bay defensively. Jared Cook led the way. For the pass catchers in his return from injury, 11 yeah, targets, good. 6 for 105 and a TD, but had a, a fumble loss late in this one that really sealed it for Washington. Uh, James Starks hauled in another uh, receiving TD, second week in a row he's Broken done coverage, that. yeah. Yep. 5 for 46, yeah, long. You could tell when they showed the replay. It turned around and like there was nobody around. I think he thought there was a penalty or something. And I think Collinsworth noted that on the broadcast. But yeah, I mean, it was one of those odd just kind of swing passes outright, turned around, nobody there. I think I mean the loss obviously kind of underscores anything that you can take away positively from Green Bay, but I, for the second week in a row, this offense looked pretty good. I mean, it obviously they only they only got to twenty four points, but you know when you're giving up forty two, you're not on the field all that much. Um, I think you know Rodgers at least he missed a couple throws that you're not used to seeing him miss, but I thought for the most part like he looks okay, which. Considering like how concerned everyone was about Rodgers four or five weeks ago, like at least he's playing well. I mean, the defense has been a complete joke. I think midway through the third quarter, they they flashed a graphic that said Green Bay had allowed the most points uh, in the in the Super Bowl era in franchise history. I think it was since 1958 over a four game span since the merger. Before, yeah. It was 1958, whatever that means. So what what is that like? Almost yeah, it's a Super Bowl era, sixty yeah. years. Um, so. And that was before the last two touchdowns, I believe. It was for sure before the last uh, the last touchdown from Rob Kelly. Uh, but this defense is in rough shape. I mean, it seemed like we were watching the same play over and over, down the middle, 
Kirk Cousins floats a perfect ball into the wind, linebacker Somehow. chasing Jamison Crowder or chasing you know Deshaun Jackson, whoever it was. Uh, you got to give credit to Cousins, though. I mean, those the receivers were open, but given the conditions, I thought he he threw the ball really well downfield. Yeah, 375, three TDs for Kirk Cousins. Rob Kelly finished with three TDs, 137 yards, 24 carries, three consecutive games with at least 20 carries. And by all accounts right now, with that volume, he's like a top 15 running back. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I feel like we've been burned by a lot of guys before, you know, this season. But this is a big enough game, and, like, he looked really good doing it, albeit against a shaky defense. Uh, that it, it doesn't look like it's just going to be a one-week wonder type of situation. It's not a Crowell or Terrence West situation. Right. It looks better than that, well, even it's though like, it's he might like Chris be Chris Thompson's going right to fly now. up and you know reclaim this role next week. Like no, I think they, you know, you could even tell like after the game, you know, everybody's mobbing Kelly on the sideline. Like they're, I think they're behind this guy and they they really want him to do well. And you know, certainly they're not going to force it, but they didn't really have to do that. You know, and it worked out really well for him last night. Just was no indication he was this good during his time uh, at Tulane. Uh, as far as the pass catchers go, Deshaun Jackson comes back, finds the end zone, four for fifty-one on a score. Jordan Reed five for seventy-nine on six targets. Looked like he was unstoppable. But then they had the deep ball going too. Pierre Garcon and Jamison Crowder with long TD catches in this game. And the Packers defense just ravaged by injuries right now. And Washington was able to capitalize. Redskins now six three and one on the season, so they're in a good spot as far as an NFC wild card berth. Uh, is concerned we talked about it a bit at the end of last week houston taking on oakland in mexico city 2,000 feet uh even higher above sea level than than denver so underrated plot line of this game elevation are we going to see like a 9-6 game where the field goals are from 70 plus yards out is that is that what this is going to be? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, when Janikowski's involved, like, I mean, 70 could be on the low end. Seabass hits an 84-yarder right. to win this one for the Raiders in the fourth quarter. Would that officially count in the NFL record books with the game being played in Mexico? Yeah, I don't think, it, I don't think the location of the game yeah. matters. It's, it's an official yeah. NFL game, so. Sure, that's what they're telling us. Um, I think Oakland's going to cruise in this game. I think Houston's kind of at an, at an inflated 6-3. and three. I mean, the defense is good enough that it, I don't see Oakland coming in and just completely blowing them out of the water, but the Texans just don't have the firepower offensively. But, I mean, this is a team that won with a quarterback who threw for 97 yards last week. Uh, obviously, you have the caveat of playing the Jaguars there. You're not going to be able to get away with that against Oakland. I want to see Seabass play a game on the moon and smash it. Like We're not a, that far from that. Like a 105-yard field goal. Like, I feel like the Jags would be like totally on board to go to the moon. <laughs> the like it's going to get to the point where, like, flash forward 10 years, it's 2026, and the Jaguars are playing like two games a year in Jacksonville, two on the moon, one in London, a couple in Peru. Like they're just going to try to outsource all of their home games. Yes, the. Uh, they're going to be the just the universe's team. Mm-hmm. What they're going to, that's, that's their goal. the thing. Yeah, I mean, they're. I think right now they're America's team. I think they can expand it, you know, to North America, and then you know the sky's really the limit. Like literally, the sky is the limit from there. That that's the only thing holding the Jags down mm-hmm. right now. All right, it's going to wrap things up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, if you like this pod and it could take a few minutes to leave us a nice review, we would greatly appreciate that. Jake and Eric are back with you with the waiver episode on Tuesday.